0: Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. For some time now, I have found questions and concerns about democracy to be in the air, to be widely on many people's minds and in many people's conversations. I could list you a whole page on my website by noted scholars like Jill Lepore, Jeffrey Stout, and Eric Liu, who have written significantly on the issue of democracy. But three books in particular have pulled together the threads of my interest in this subject. The first book is Stanley Harawas' After Christendom. Its subtitle reads, How the Church is to Behave if Freedom, Justice, and a Christian Nation are Bad Ideas. His chapter two is entitled, The Politics of Justice, Why Justice is a Bad Idea for Christians. And chapter three is entitled, The Politics of Freedom. Why Freedom of Religion is a Subtle Temptation. By questioning the Church's relationship to our nation through critiques of our nation's understanding of such concepts as justice and freedom of religion, Hauerwas, by extension, is also questioning, given our nation's understanding of it, whether democracy is a good idea for Christians as well. The second book is Bruce Johansson's Forgotten Fathers, How the American Indian Helped Shape Democracy. In this book, he seeks to challenge the fallacy that practices and the notion of democracy came only from Europe and that it was only white men who shaped our nation's understanding and practice of democracy. The third book is Jason Hickel's Democracy is Death. Hickel is an economic anthropologist who is a native of South Africa. He documents the reasons why rural blacks in South Africa although happy for the ending of apartheid, rejected the democratic capitalist reforms initiated by Nelson Mandela and the African National Congress as being destructive of their culture and identities. However, what crystallized my interest in and concern about democracy and has motivated me to want to address the subject here in this podcast are what to me seem to be the threats created to our democracy by Donald Trump and his devoted followers. I was born and raised in the United States and I'm the product of public school education. I also am a lifelong Baptist so I have deep roots in the affirmation of democracy. So what I want us to do in this podcast series is to look at democracy. What's going on with it? What's the state of democracy both in our nation and around the world? To begin our conversation. I am turning to Dr. Gary Peluso-Verdin. Gary is the President Emeritus at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma and a visiting research professor there. More importantly for our purposes today, Gary is also the Executive Director of the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips. Through the center, Gary teaches seminary classes and conducts discussion groups with lay people on the interplay between faith, public life, politics, and democracy. Welcome, Gary. Thank you for being with me this evening.
1: It's good. Thanks. I really
0: appreciate the invitation. Well, why don't we uh, start out by letting you kind of tell your own spiritual journey? Sure, sure. Um, Did you get interest in democracy?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, I grew up in uh, the 50s and 60s and 70s, you could say, Suburban Chicago, um, a a middle class uh, Methodist then United Methodist home uh, where we went to church eh, frequently. Uh, my dad was Sunday school teacher and probably in the course of his lifetime did everything at the church, uh, but preach. Um, and I remember being three years old and first being brought to Sunday school class uh, by my dad. Uh, so. Uh, I had that um, male influence in my life of a of a religious person uh, that um, started me in church and kept me in church. Really, I, I didn't have any any big breaks like some kids do, uh, uh, but I did have um, the uh, frequent experience of asking questions that. Um, either made a sunday school teacher a little nervous uh or uh or where i was encouraged especially by a particular youth group advisor a lay person um to keep pursuing those questions uh and so um i f- did feel i had a call to ministry uh by uh, by uh, my about mid high school i sought out a, a religion major a college where i could do a religion major uh, and did college at a small liberal arts college in southern Wisconsin, just a little uh, couple hours north of where we lived uh, and um, um, learned a lot there uh, about uh, the seriousness of questions and following questions out. Uh, uh, it was a tremendous intellectual atmosphere to uh, because there was no question that was out of bounds. Uh, and I found that incredibly freeing and interesting. Um, and uh, my very first religion class uh, happened to be with the man who also served as college chaplain. And I got involved in the uh, what was the Sunday morning liturgy planning groups from my freshman year on. Uh, and it was so interesting to see the uh, see it uh, to watch experience, the college chaplain on the one hand teaching about historical critical methods of exploring the New Testament uh, uh, during the week and then uh, uh, putting together worship uh, with him on weekends. Uh, So that was a really positive formative experience for me. Um, So that question pursuing really carried me into my seminary uh, time. Uh, and I would say probably the most formative experience I had in seminary, which starts to relate to the religion and democracy, uh, is when I was, uh, did my first two years in seminary out at Wesley Seminary in Washington, D.C., and they were just initiating what they called the National Capital Semester for Seminarians, uh, which is a full semester uh, uh, spent in a variety of kinds of seminars all around Capitol Hill and all around the Washington DC area, really using DC, Northern Virginia, Maryland as, a, uh, as an extended classroom. Um, and we went to the FBI and the CIA and sat in on uh, various Senate organizing committees and, and uh, got to do an internship at the United Methodist Board of Church and Society uh, and uh, did a project on on uh, what became uh, uh, the um, uh, the initiatives taken by uh, public interest groups to separate commercials from children's television on Saturday mornings, hmm. uh, and even that, that that those little interludes, you know, after these messages, we'll be right back uh was put in after these after these hearings because uh they uh, the all the psychologists were saying kids can't differentiate between uh a commercial and uh and your uh uh your so-called program content at any rate what we got to see is we got to see people of faith trying to exercise their faith in public life and found that the uh, the church uh, whether that be the United Methodist Church or a variety of other uh, uh, denominations, uh, was in fact significantly involved in the political processes of Washington D.C. Um, uh, as both as the church as well as educated lay people who were trying to exercise their faith in public um, in those in those variety of settings. Now this was. The very late 1970s. so it was right before the moral majority got founded um, and uh, and the kind of turn to the right of what became the mainline for Protestant Christianity in America. that hadn't quite happened yet. So these were people who were who were really trying to find the better angels of our natures and the our being the American public at that point. Uh, and correlating those with with the uh, uh, basically uh, uh, Christian ethics, um, uh, especially as it relates to care for uh, those who are most vulnerable in society. Uh, and uh, that was what religion and public life uh, really meant to a lot of these people that we interviewed. I would say, except for maybe the guy at the CIA who tried to convince me that, Joshua sending spies into the uh into the uh uh the promised land was uh uh a um uh a uh, uh predecessor of the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so yeah. I had those experiences I had a lot I mean we we learned a lot about Uh, mad about mutually assured destruction, which was so much a part of the conversation in those days uh, and the like. And then um, uh, after serving in a church for six years, post-seminary, and uh, I was able to pursue a PhD at the University of Chicago, and I was very happy to be able to work with Martin Marty. Uh, Martin Marty is, is almost forgotten by a lot of historians today, Uh, despite the fact he's still alive. Uh, He's no longer writing books, but he's written 50 or 60 of them uh, and uh, was the best-known commentator on religion in public life for 40 or 50 years, probably. Uh, And uh, it so happened also that I knew Marty's sons from going to high school with them uh, and knew the family, and so I had a personal connection there. Um, But in working with Marty and working with him predominantly around uh, the, the ecclesiology, the meaning, the kind of ecclesial or the church meaning of what the ecu- modern ecumenical movement is. Um, but I was also so interested in the interactions between church and culture, church and politics, uh, and uh, uh, and Marty does all those kinds of things. And so learning from him some basic frames for understanding, the intersection between religion and public life um, really led me to understand the inevitability of that intersection. So that's some of the the journey that led me to uh, uh, keeping even even all my years as theological administrator and being a doctor of ministry program director, being a dean, church relations, raising money, being a president. I still was keeping my eye on. What's going on uh, with how the church shows up in public
0: life and what we're trying to do? Well, talk a little bit about the development of that of that program that you've got going.
1: Sure. So, so one of the things I I, I tried to, um, and I think was successful in, in helping to move the seminary uh, here, Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, um, um, mainline Protestant, uh, we identify today as progressive. Um, uh, Christian Theological Seminary, uh, D- uh, Disciples of Christ School, Ecumenical. Um, but um, uh, in my in my last years as president, I was able to help the seminary turn a bit more outward. Uh, Tulsa's a city of something like four hundred thousand people, about uh, a million people total in the metro area now, um, and. It's interesting because it's such a religious culture uh, that a religious institution, even a small one such as we are, can have something of a voice in public life. Um, And being on the progressive side of the Protestant religious spectrum does put us in a minority position here in Tulsa, uh, where the dominant uh, religious slash educational institutions are such as uh, Oral Roberts University, uh or the rhema school of theology uh connected with Rama bible institute and 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 their religion their um, uh they have a missionary training sending program that is well known throughout the pentecostal world and like that's that's the more or less dominant form of of how christianity is expressed here along with most of the southern baptist churches here um, which are significant in number in oklahoma and most of them would strongly identify with the Southern Baptist convention, uh, as it has been since the, the more conservative takeover in the 1980s. Um, so, uh, having a, a little different voice, uh, uh, that is, that aligns with some of the more political left, uh, is w- we're interesting. <laughs> we're just interesting in this culture. So, um, uh, I I had said that during the time I was president, even, I really would have uh, tried to kind of start a center for religion and public life for Oklahoma predominantly, Um, sort of out out of my back pocket, uh, and I just never had the time for it. Uh, I could do little things. I started some blogging to put both the seminary's voice out there, as well as, I mean, one of the primary reasons I continue to blog is is uh, to echo that old statement that, you know, war is too important to leave the generals. Uh, uh, Seminary education is too important to leave the clergy. Uh, uh, You know, the kinds of conversations we have in seminary should not be secret. Uh, They should not be just, uh, they shouldn't be Gnostic, right? Uh, As as in, it's some kind of secret initiated knowledge. Now, uh, you know, a lot of our pastors uh, a lot of our students who graduate and serve in congregations, and I'm sure you'll recognize this, um, you know, are oftentimes they they by the time they exit seminary, um, they are uh, through their education. They've been led to a more progressive or liberal place than a lot of the congregations they serve have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we always say about these educational experiences and like Lyle, Lyle Schaller used to say, education can be alienating. I mean, it, it takes you out of your own comfort zone, like Abraham and Sarai, takes takes you on a journey out. Um, but the people you're going to serve, they haven't had that journey. Right. Right. So being able to take some of the material, some of the kinds of questions, some of the more, some of the ways of thinking um, and take them out of a professional graduate context um, and and work with them as far as the relationship between uh, church and public life, religion and public life. Um, uh, is something I thought let's let's try to start a center to do more of that and really amplify those progressive voices which are out there. Um, our which includes our graduates, but also includes you know, and I can I can test this a number of lay people throughout our throughout Oklahoma and Kansas and Nebraska, and and the places where, while they may be, I know the dominant culture of the place would be more in political terms today, red. Uh, there are a significant number of persons who are looking for a different way of understanding faith and its intersection with public life than they have experienced um, uh, for, well, uh, um, I, Put it this way, I graduated seminary with my, M, my Master of Divinity in 1981. Uh, the moral majority was founded in 1979-1980. So therefore, all of my public ministry life has been in the context of the ascendancy of what has become the religious right. Um, and as I've come to study that ascendancy, Um, uh, I think that ascendancy is highly correlated with the troubles we're having today for, uh, uh, being a, uh, a really world leading democracy.
0: Well, you and I share that, uh, all of our ministry being engulfed in that. So, uh, so why talk about religion and politics?
1: Right. It's, it's, um, right it's it's those things you're not supposed to talk about in polite company right Uh, which is my bread and butter i love talking about those two things in whatever company uh we can we can get to to talk about it because they are absolutely related um when when uh you know in the lord's prayer uh in the our father uh every sunday we say it uh we we have this phrase uh in there of um uh your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven Uh, and uh, you can map out a whole lot of christianity based on how you interpret that your kingdom come uh, on earth as it is in heaven but fundamentally fundamentally uh the, the 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 problematic that jesus sets up in that is well there's already a kingdom here. Uh, in his day, it was Caesar. Right. Uh, it, was the, it was the Roman Empire. Uh, and his word, as you know, I mean, his basilea uh, Tuteu is is not, we, we render it kingdom of God because that's the way the King James English did it. Uh, but it was really empire of God. Uh, uh, and it was because of the same, same word used for uh, for empire, the empire of Rome as right. the empire of God. So, there's a conflict set up that there, there's, there, there are these two empires and they're somehow in competition. So, how is the empire of God going to replace the empire of Caesar? Uh, what are the differences between the two and all? It sets up a relationship absolutely immediately. But, in larger, uh, in, in other kinds of terms, um, anybody who studies sociology or culture uh, can certainly understand this that religion and politics tend to run in some very similar, if not identical pathways. Both put out as propositions, stories of how we understand ourselves, both set out to um, uh, uh, also understand how we belong to a group, a society, uh, a nation and the like uh and what uh what are what are the criteria for belonging um and uh who doesn't belong uh so you know church has always controlled its boundaries by you know what does membership mean what does communion with the church mean um what does it mean that there's no salvation outside the church uh and those kinds of terms it's it's all about belonging um so you have we have stories kind of founding stories and 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 self identity stories that we We both tell, uh, we both talk about belonging. We both postulate that there there is a moral order uh, to which we're all accountable, uh, the sense of right and wrong and uh, what it is we owe to each other. Politics and religion both postulates that. Um, And then there's also a sense in both religion and politics of there is the potential for the people that we really could be but there's some barrier there's some problematic that we must overcome in order to be to be all that we could really be i mean in, in, you know and in, in christian religious life uh the big term here would be sin uh sin is what we have to overcome how do you overcome it the grace of god uh, how do you access the grace of god how do you continue accessing the grace of god uh, once converted throughout your life and and the like. Um, but politics does the same thing. Uh, and it might not be sin that they say, but there's usually some group, some issue, some idea that needs to be overcome in order to be the people you really want to be. Uh, and you know, in contemporary life today, you could say, well, on the one hand, uh, uh, one one side of politics may say well right if you get all the liberals out um uh and and uh, the liberals who are also obviously communists uh and you know and then take all your take your slurs throw them in a basket that's what needs to be overcome how do you overcome it you make sure they don't vote uh you kick them out of elections you know so you get in all the belonging issues again as well as fundamental story about who this nation is here for. So those four, those four things of story and belonging and moral order and empowerment. uh, Those, those cultural features are shared. um, And it's also, it's a shared realm. It's also a competitive realm between religion and politics. Now religion does two other things uh, that, uh, uh, that, are should be that should all make us really suspicious when politics gets into them <laughs> in the um the, the the four i mentioned oh yeah this is this is inevitable these have to be talked about uh, together because we 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 co-inform each other let's put it that way um however when politics gets into um mystery and transcendence mm. Mm. those are the two things that we on, re- on the religious side You know, we 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 get into um, and we say, you know, a a part of religion, of course, is the is the sense of awe and mystery uh, that that you push your understanding as far as you possibly can. But we know fundamentally that there's that which is greater than ourselves, which we are not. Um, And uh, that uh, uh, that uh, uh, we seek for a transcendence. We seek to be taken beyond ourselves, uh, uh, to become even more than we possibly expected to be. Politics. When if when when politicians get into get into something that sounds mysterious, <laughs> every one of, you know all of our alarm bells should go off. <laughs> and when they prom- when they promise transcendence through a political program. I think also our alarm bell should go off because because for those of us who are uh, have uh, robust doctrines of original sin <laughs> um, we should be really suspicious of political programs that say you know if you sign on to this program we will make you bigger than you ever have been
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so, how so does
0: that's fit into this for you sure
1: democracy is a form of government, right? Uh, it's not the only form of government. And in fact, uh, throughout human history, there have been a lot of other forms, you know, other forms of government uh, that have been uh, m- more predominant historical examples. However, I am um, uh, I guess I'm a died in the world liberal uh, on this one. Liberal, not now in the sense of liberal conservative. Liberal in the sense of of, of an advocate for liberal democracy, meaning that uh, 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 believe that human beings um, are, are, should be, can be capable of governing ourselves uh, with the least interference possible from governmental powers uh, and uh, and. And that democracy of all of the forms of government, I think, is the one most compatible with uh, Christian and I would say Jewish, Christian, Muslim, uh, certainly understandings of the fundamental dignity of human beings as we are created. Um, that these are uh, that our our fundamental dignity uh, of, uh, of human beings is in fact our nature. That does uh, like the Declaration says. It does precede uh, uh, governments. Governments don't grant us dignity. Uh, gra- governments are supposed to recognize our dignity, um, and uh, and the the um, uh, the potential for human beings to govern themselves fairly, justly, compassionately uh, is is continues to be I think uh, uh, a hope for the human race uh, that I just can't see any other any other form of government working you know like uh, uh, like you and I have talked before you know uh, Winston Churchill said democracy is the worst form of government except for every other one we've tried right. uh, and uh, uh, that may be true it's democracy is awfully messy um, uh, it's not For those who are purists, for those who are looking for a doctrinaire or dogmatic way of being, democracy drives them mad, right? Uh, right? Uh, Because there's you apply a purity code to democracy, um, and you're not going to have much of a democracy anymore, Um, or uh, you'll you'll uh, you know since democracies are not all made alike um, uh, uh, are. are the founding fathers of the nation uh, yeah they had a they had a sense of democracy in mind um, but it was a much smaller uh, participatory democracy than what we're talking about today right because they uh, they didn't trust popular vote to elect the president uh, they didn't trust popular vote to elect senators um, and uh, they certainly didn't trust women. Uh, they started out by not trusting on, un, uh, unproperty people and they didn't trust anybody who wasn't colored as, uh, colored white, right. uh, basically. So all those ways, they had a democracy, uh, but it was a democracy of an elite, uh, versus a democracy that was really a widely participatory, um, uh, multicultural, uh, phenomenon that we're trying to be today. At least part of us are trying to be that. So, um, but that's fundamentally when we talk about why, why religion, and politics are together and why democracy is fundamentally important. I don't know how the human spirit gets better tapped politically than through the, uh, a, an adequate democracy.
0: Well, how do you, in addition to the issues of dignity and things, how do you see Christianity having shaped uh, our democracy?
1: Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm putting together a class for this upcoming fall, a public class, where I'm going to uh, look at a variety of moral events uh, throughout, uh, or moral decision points, I should say, throughout American history uh, from the perspective of Christianity shaping at least two sides of it um And there's usually competing sides, hmm. uh, and I would say, and, and that competing sides definitely includes how we have uh, come to democracy, uh, because because you can see, well, on the one hand, you're going to have people like uh, some of your forebears, like John Leland, uh, uh, who uh, and Roger Williams, in a sense too, uh, who were uh, Democrats, small D uh well before there was a democratic party or or uh or well before democracy was really thought to be the kind of wide franchise we're thinking of today for some of the same theological reasons so so those uh the uh, inviolability of conscience for instance uh as being really important as a, and really uh, one of the uh, virtues values embedded in the first amendment um I think I think we've shaped uh, Christianity shaped uh, democracy in those ways Um, through the uh, the, in the in the period after the um, after or or during the founding of the nation during the Revolutionary War um, the narratives uh, especially while was Christians proffering the narratives they were uh, Old Testament Hebrew Bible narratives you know, understanding the nation as the new Israel or as a new Israel or as a city on a hill or or, or more more so really as as um, in an exodus moment, throwing off Britain, which they saw as Pharaoh's army uh, and like. So the narrative we we fed the narratives. Um, we also fed the narratives for what for who the Native Americans were. Uh, uh, you know, some of which was positive, some negative, um, uh, much negative. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was bits of positive. It was bits of, you know, I think about the, you know, the missionaries who walked the trail of tears, uh, uh, with the tribes and the like, um, there was, there was some positive, but most of it was, how do we get this land for, uh, American settlers as quickly as possible? Right. Um, And then around uh, uh, the morality uh, of slavery, uh, of enslaving people, Uh, there there were lots of Christians who were on the side of justifying it. Um, And as the 19th century went went on, there was also a number of Christians, uh, uh, including radicals such as John Brown uh, or uh, more conventional abolitionists, uh, uh, and the like who, um, uh, who said this is wrong, who was morally wrong. So we had Christians on both sides, justifying slavery. Uh, and, uh, uh so we, we shaped society in those ways. Um, we certainly shaped society, uh, around, uh, the, um, uh, women's suffrage, uh, again, on both sides. Um, uh, catholics I mean, we're talking mostly about protestants at this point but uh roman catholics uh, uh, were very much a, um, a strange minority uh in a lot of american society on the east coast not on the west coast uh where you have to remember it was spanish catholic uh was and out of and coming up through mexico those those were the dominant cultures there uh but Catholicism's relationship with the modern world was a really fraught one. uh, And uh, they were quite anti-Catholic, I mean, I'm sorry, anti-democratic in a whole lot of ways until uh, officially changing that stance in Vatican II in the 1960s. Um, uh, uh, But that's all, you know, that said, Catholic thinkers also were very much contributors to American democracy as a lot of us understand it today. uh, the mainline, main, so-called mainline Christianity uh, was, was basically event, uh, kind of a liberalized evangelicalism coming out of the 19th century, uh, which began to understand that Christianity was not just about the salvation of souls. It also had to do with the, um, h- how much of that heaven on, how, uh, you know, God's kingdom on earth should come now. Right. Uh, by our own actions and social gospel and the like, uh, uh, saying that the church needs to be involved with the issues of the day with immigration and labor uh, and environmental concerns and the like. Um, I could say, I mean, I, I'm gonna do two more things then I'll then I'll stop because uh, it's too much of me going on. Um, Christianity no, you're, was
0: you're the guest. you're supposed to be blood talking.
1: <laughs> Christianity was a huge influence and understanding the discovery of oil in the United States. Uh, uh, the Christians, uh, a lot of whom were uh, uh, themselves wildcatters uh, uh, as they discovered oil first in, pl- in various places in Pennsylvania, they they said, you know, God put these reserves here in the ground for however many thousand years now most of these were new earthers <laughs> so they didn't think it was there it was, this was this this was the residue of all of, of the flood of the great flood uh and the like um but uh uh they said god kept this in the ground for us to find it um and now we're gonna we're gonna transform society with this great new find uh and that kind of attitude of the godly um, nature of oil and stewardship being drill it and get it uh, conflicts a lot with Bill McKibben and and uh, Rachel Carson and uh, the more modern period, you know this more uh, closer to our own times period where we're also seeing uh, what hydrocarbons, uh, and what that drilling and what a huge, what the Exxon Valdez spill and the BP oil blowout uh, and, and uh, um, places like Oklahoma and the fracking, the earthquakes caused by the taking the, the um, used water from uh, fracking and injecting it with great force into the ground and causing cities to tremble all over Oklahoma uh, and the like. So it's all of those. It's all of those. Uh, Christians have been in all of those and more. And then finally, um, the certainly the the uh, most most of us alive today are going to be are cognizant that the Christian right, uh, that amalgamation of a conservative kind of predominantly, but not not only southern and western Christianity along with highly conservative Republican politics um, has uh, tremendously influenced um, everything from uh, who's sitting on federal benches uh, to um, the um, uh, movement in many states to um, um, uh, deregulate uh, this and that industry. To Christian homeschooling, to um, uh, defunding of public schools, uh, and uh, and 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 you know fears on the fears on the left that uh, that uh, what they really want to do is to set up uh, a, the the uh, gilead of the Handmaid's Tale. Um, <laughs> uh, so so Christianity has been enormously politically involved in, in nearly every issue of significance I can think of uh, in American history.
0: Well, you talked um, in our conversation before uh, we set up the interview um, about your efforts to kind of define democracy. Right. Um, Kind of talk a little bit more about that.
1: Right, right. It goes back to the, what I was saying earlier about the, you know, um, we were, well, some people do it this way. They say, you know, we're not a, this this nation's not a democracy. We're a republic, um, and I'm immediately suspicious of that because that was a John Birch Society talking point. Mm, yeah, um, and 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 what they often mean by that is uh, that no, that's that's true. On a federal level, there are there are some uh, some decisions. That were not put in the popular hands, um, but the 13, 14, 15 amendments changed a lot of that to make it much more uh, a much broader franchise, uh, a much broader voting uh, uh, as part of uh, of what American democracy at a federal level means. Um, and of course, we've had much more democracy at local levels when it comes to. Uh, People vote. You know, fundamental in a, for a democracy, people have to have the franchise to vote, and uh, their voting should make a some discernible difference for what the legislative and policy agendas are that get passed. Um, so, as I read various uh, various theorists these days who are. Uh, trying to understand what democracy means, that that voting and that voting being translated in, into a, a policy that has uh, a popular base to it uh, are seem really fundamental. But once you move away from that, um, uh, then you uh, then you start getting into some really interesting nuance um, because you can have a democracy where minority rights mean nothing. Right, um, right. That, that it's simply a majority rule. And some people say that, you know, that, well, democracy is all about majority rule. Mm, yes, it can be that way. Uh, is that what we want to be? I mean, here's one of the interesting things about democracy, right? We get to decide what it is. Right. Right. It's not it's it, this democracy is not something that was that was handed down like the commandments. Uh, it's, it's not a creed. Uh, it is a, it is a covenant, if you will use our religious language. It's a covenant for us to engage in debate and argument together. Um, I like John, uh, the Roman Catholic, the Jesuit priest, John Courtney Murray, uh, who is a, a huge player uh for kind of an american understanding of christianity in vatican ii who said that um um, democracy is a people locked together in civil argument Mm. um and that makes sense to me uh uh so um uh majority rule okay that is a kind of democracy but uh when Madison and Hamilton were writing up those Federalist papers, trying to interpret the Constitution that Madison fundamentally uh put together um, uh they said they said these kinds of things they said um, uh they were trying to answer the critics of democracy who said that um uh, there's no difference between if, if majority rule is what your is 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 what democracy means, then there's no difference between democracy and a mob, right? Um, so they, Madison and, and, and Hamilton, wrote, um, uh, how do we, you know, fundamentally, how do we function as a democracy without becoming a mob? They they saw the critique, and they said, well, you're going to need the protection of minority political rights. Um, so uh, uh, trying to eliminate the other party, trying to, you know, fundamentally and for all time silence the other party uh, and the like. Um, uh, that was supposed to be out of bounds. But the other thing they said you need is you need a, a, a well-educated public. Um, educated both in the issues of the day, but also educated in virtue. Um, they like, uh, you know, uh, like Plato said that justice is the chief virtue of society. Uh, that if you, if you don't exist for the sake of justice, you ought not to exist as a society. Um, so you need a virtuous people to carry that out. If you're gonna have a democracy, you can't just rely on the philosopher king uh, you need to have a people well-educated in the virtues which virtues. Well, that's that's where I, you know, I think uh, I think there's again, there's a there's a huge potential overlap uh, between uh, Not only Christians but other people of faith and what democracy really needs. When We talk virtues We're talking character strengths when we're talking when we're talking um, virtues for a democracy we're not just talking about individual character strengths. We're really talking about character strengths in the society. For, for example, uh, you know, how many times today do we hear that, oh, you know, we, we really wish we had more, you know there was more civility in conversation. Uh, well, okay, I, I fundamentally agree with that. Okay. What do you mean by civility in conversation? Does that mean being nice to each other? Does that mean uh, never holding each other accountable? Um, Or does civility mean um, speaking in respectful ways with the opposing party when you have a fundamental disagreement and you need to come to some either compromise or resolution of that disagreement, um, but it is a fundamental disagreement. There is conflict. This is a highly conflictual uh, 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 issue uh, where we know the emotions are going to run high. Uh, and so in order to engage civilly on it, um, you've gotta be trained in that kind of discourse. Right. It doesn't come on its own, right? and and uh, uh, everything around, uh, all, for all the good that social media has, Canon has done uh, in terms of connecting people and, you know, helping me see what's going on with my grandkids uh, more frequently and the like. Um, the, uh, uh, the the so-called uh, uh, cancel culture uh, mentality. Uh, uh, which I think more broadly is the is the kind of call it out and shame it culture uh, is also a very significant part of what social media does. N- and that does not contribute to civil discourse. Um, to be blunt, what our previous president did uh, immediate prior president did uh, uh, does not contribute yeah. to civil discourse. um the The, when we, when we call the other party, every name in the book, uh, and, and say they're demonic, uh, uh, or, um, they're the enemy of the people and like, okay, um, you can't have civil discourse at that point because there has to be enough safety, uh, for us to each sit at the table, um, and, and, um trust that the other one is going to uh, respectfully put their positions on uh, 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 before us without ad hominem attacks and without um, uh, dismissing us by imposing categories that don't actually fit but they are really satisfying emotionally for their base
0: right well, there was a, a story you told me that I want you to tell uh, about um, some of the questions that uh, Astra Taylor. Right. Know, uh,
1: talk about. Right, right. Uh, so Astra Taylor is a, a documentary filmmaker um, who wrote a, um, uh, who wrote a, uh, d- did a documentary on democracy, but then wrote a book based on that, that was uh, an accompanying book Democracy May Not Exist, but We'll Miss It When It's Gone. Now it's a great title uh, and and uh, uh she went all over the world asking people what democracy means to them. The overwhelming answer for that she heard back was Democracy means freedom mm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: Democracy means freedom okay I think that sure that's that makes sense. She was surprised that she'd never heard democracy means equality. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I was just today I was, uh, I was looking again at the Gettysburg address because for, uh, a service we're going to do and the interface service we're going to do in our Tulsa community here on sometime around July 4th, I started reworking the Gettysburg address, uh, as if it was, you know, um, uh. Twelve score and five years ago. <laughs> uh, so, which is kind of an interesting exercise to do. You know, what what would we say with it today? But dedicated to the proposition that all men were created equal, right, right, and and that one of the things I've I've come to see, and Esther Taylor's book was very helpful in in seeing this, but uh, uh, in a lot of our debates. Today, about what our country should become, uh, equality is is a is a real hot button. Uh, that uh, for some, you've got to talk about equality and even so, equity, which is even a, which is a trigger word <laughs> these days for some people. Um, but uh, but equality it has been the the. Um, secondary child of democracy. And I, and I think that what we're in that moment in that it's more than a moment. It's an era where we are really testing. Does democracy really include equality? Right. Uh, And if so, in what ways, I mean, other than God created us all equal, but once we once, but once we were born and got into society, then there are hierarchies that must be, uh, uh that must be recognized uh and uh and not interfered with um, uh because it's not government's job to interfere with any hierarchy and and uh, um, uh everybody's born wherever they're born uh, and uh even though we might all say you know well if we have a quality of opportunity all right um so we're all coming to the starting line with the same the same background, the same family wealth, uh, the same educational opportunities, um, the same privileges or, or um, uh, uh, handicaps uh, that because uh, society doesn't have any differentiation between the privileges and handicaps they put on people. Yeah, we all come with the, at the you know, same starting line. Or is it that we know we actually come to the, the starting line with a whole lot of different capacities? Uh, and, and it is the job of society, uh, to do something about those inequities.
0: Well, we're about, we're about out of time. Uh, Yeah. I wanted to give you a chance, uh, to talk about the work that you're doing, uh, with lay folks and, and particularly, uh, your guiding question, uh, that you mentioned to me, uh, about what can people of faith do? to help regenerate the spirit of democracy in our nation. Right, right. And uh, and then the distinction that you made between uh, the actually workings of democracy and the valuing of it culturally.
1: Right, right. So I'm gonna, I'll summarize it this way. So, you know, there's an old preacher uh, story uh, that, I mean, it's not for old preachers, it's an old story that preachers keep telling, you know, about the bodies floating down the river uh, and and people uh, uh, fishing out all these drowning people, uh, and then somebody gets a brilliant idea. Why don't we go upriver to see why these bodies are in the river at all, and maybe we could stop them from ever getting in there? Well, I think where the where we in the church have sometimes gotten caught up into the uh, ultra political moment where. Uh, where politics just dominates everything uh, these days, including I think the way we understand it, faith. Um, I think we as people of faith need to step back a little bit from that and say, "What's happening upriver in the culture? What's in the soil? For the change the metaphor, what's in the soil of the culture uh, that is is that is uh, that we can help regenerate?" Uh, if we're not having the conversations we want to be having, if we if we're not having the arguments that we really need to have, if we're not dealing with racism uh, at its root level uh, the way that society needs to, um, if we're if we're um, uh, going to be a genuine multicultural democracy that has a shared power base um, as we move into the 2040s and 50s. Um, what can we as people of faith do upstream, in the, at the cultural level, um, to make some of those changes? What we preach, what we teach, what we're involved in, uh, uh, how we tell America's story, how we understand belonging, uh, how we talk about, and 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 uh, uh, provide examples for what a decent moral order is, what empowerment means. I mean. I think we have so much to contribute at those levels uh, in order to get a different, to come to a different place than right now we have come to, which I take to be a very dangerous place.
0: And and so what you're doing is having uh, kind of public courses or public forums,
1: public courses, uh, blogs, podcasts that uh, feature. Uh, uh, people doing uh, good work in public uh, from a more progressive perspective and somewhere in the heartland of the country. Uh, We'll run some, we'll run some symposia, um, uh, do some interfaith work, uh, occasional civic services uh, where we blend uh, some of our, some kind of faith commitment and civic uh, commitments. Again, at the cultural level, we're not, we're not talking about trying to influence the, you know, uh, which candidate you're voting for for an election, but what issues do you think are important issues uh, as a person of faith and how can we better get our voices in and and perhaps influence down the line uh, some as to um, uh, who's representing us in places where laws and policies are being passed.
0: And the best way to connect with you and what you're doing is how?
1: Great. Uh, I would say uh,
0: email, is, uh, email is really
1: the best way at gary.peluso, P-E-L-U-S-O, at pts.edu, or go to the seminary's Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash phillips seminary, um, and you'll find a link to uh, all of the blogs, podcasts, uh, and news, uh, news stories I put out on a regular basis.
0: I am grateful. Uh, for you being here and kind of launching this conversation that I'm hoping to have over time uh, about democracy and all of it. And uh, you've given us much to think about.
1: Thanks. I hope we keep in touch. And I really um, admire what you're,
0: what you're trying to do. Well, appreciate that. All right. So you're listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The music for this episode comes from a clip Of a song called father let your kingdom come that is on the porter's gate worship project work songs album and used by permission by the porter's gate work project you can purchase the album and learn more about the worship project by going to the website theportersgate.com this show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel, Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing gospel.blubr.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening. And for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your.